Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Chris Cooper. We're at Quaintrail Restaurant in Portland. It's uh, June 22nd, 2020. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, first question, most important question, is why wine? Uh, well, I was living and working in Chicago. Um, first started working in restaurants, and I was working at a place that had an all-American wine list. And um, it was a nice, concise wine list, but it, you know, you got to learn everything about it, and I learned the more wine I could sell, the more tips I would make, the less I'd have to work. Um, you can sell two bottles of wine and that equals like five cocktails each, you know, so, you know, five cocktails each is a little too much to serve anyway. Um, but yeah, so that first, first sparked my interest and then the more I got into it, the more I went down the rabbit hole, I, the more I, I enjoyed it. Um, so tell me about, as you started to go down the rabbit hole and enjoy it, was it, what was it about it that, 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 that kind of sparked the interest? You know, my, my wine, so first started with, uh, my wine, what I first familiar with was like big Californias, Infidels, Cabs, Syrahs, things like that. Those, I think that's a um, starting point for a lot of people. Are they like, they go the other way, they like start out drinking white Zinfandel you know, or something like that, and they, they grow into something else. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more my palate ex grew and the more nuanced things became, I just became fascinated. You know, I, like, um, I can't remember the producer, I can't remember the year. It was just a Burgoyne Rouge and it looked perfectly light. Like it looked like almost like a, it was a very pale red. And then when I tasted it, it had so much depth and character and it was like, it was one of those things where like, you know, hmm. Yeah, so, and that's got me down, just working through more European wines, um, and then I found Oregon wines, and uh, was attracted to that. So, as along the way, obviously, you have to educate yourself, obviously, there's a pretty steep learning curve. Tell me about the education process of learning wine. Uh, I had a few mentors. Um, Brett Zimmerman uh, really got me started in wine. Uh, he has a place in Colorado now, a uh, wine shop. Um, but I took some wine classes at Sam's. Um, went to every wine tasting I could, uh, t you know, impromptu tasting groups kind of thing. Nothing very formal. Uh, so, yeah. so you mentioned discovering Oregon. So tell me about discovering Oregon wine, and then what what, what made you actually want to come to Oregon? Well, um, essentially, what's different in different markets? Like Tory Moore was in the market there. Uh, it was all Pinot Noir, a little bit of Chardonnay, a little bit. Of a little bit of Pinot Gris um, first sort of piqued my interest and then one day it was um, 2004 March 17th uh, a winemaker named Brian O'Donnell from Belpont Vineyards came into the restaurant I was working at he was looking for an Irish bar in Chicago and um, uh, <laughs> but he came into our restaurant anyway which is not an Irish bar whatsoever <laughs> um, but we started talking and, and um, uh, I just told him like I really like Oregon wines, you know, and, and you know, somewhere, somewhere along the conversation, he was like, "Hey, Coop, you ever think about 
you know, maybe coming out working Harvest. And I was like, not till really right now, kind of thing. Um, so we kept in touch all summer, and I came out in 2004 and worked Harvest at Belpont. Um, I still remember the first night I was there, I couldn't really sleep because it was so quiet. I was used to the city, you know. Um, but they were just, I mean, it was a great place to, to work and stay there. Um, really got a, a view into you know, how wine's made, which was, which was fascinating. I thought I was going to screw things up and it's like, you really can't, they really don't let you, you know, you're not that involved in any of the process. But they were like, hey, you know, after a couple of weeks, they're like, hey, can you just take the forklift and take that bin over there? I'm like, you know, now you have to have training and stuff on it, so. But, but, but not that I didn't lift anything like, serious, like no barrels, no, no full wine, but yeah, yeah, it was just sort of like. So first harvest, you're not doing anything, like you say, you're not doing anything too meaningful in the process. What about the process like made you, made it enjoyable to you? What was it you liked about it? Uh, the camaraderie, camaraderie that you know, the people you work with. Um, you know, I mean, they kept me involved in what's going on, and like there was, I saw some of the science and some of the stuff, um, which was which was which was cool. Um, no, it was just it was just fun. It was just different. I've been working in restaurants for quite a while, and it was just just different. I remember I was washing barrels one day, and like I was I was rolled the barrel over, and and the leaves were falling out. And the leaves of Pinot Noir. This is like like fuchsia, like looks like paint, like looks like, you know, some teenager put it on their wall or something. And um, I remember like these, a couple of women had strayed from a tour and they were like, does that go back in the wine? And like, like my restaurant side was like, oh no ma'am, and I wanted to explain it, I just, but I was like, mm, it's going down the drain. I don't know, <laughs> like, no, it doesn't go back in the wine. It's sort of like, you know, I didn't laugh out loud, but it just clicked in my mind that like, huh. This is refreshing. It's good to take a break from hospitality for a moment. <laughs> so what happened? What happened next then? After after the harvest, two thousand four. I uh, went back to to work. Um, went back to the restaurant I was working at, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it had a fairly significant Oregon wine list at the time. And I remember, like the first week I was back, um, I had this table, and, and they're like, "Hey, can you tell me anything about some of these Oregon Pinots?" So I was like, "Sure." You know, and I went down the list of like boom, 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 like what, everything I knew about and what I'd learned, and and um, as a server, and the gentleman just looked at me. It's like, can you can you send the psalm over? And I was like, all right, sure can. And I told the psalm like, this is the wines I talked to. Boom, you know, and he sold him the one that was like fifty dollars more than anyone I talked to. So <laughs> trust your server sometimes. So, how, what point do you get back out to Oregon? Uh, 2007, I, I moved out and worked harvest again at Belpont, and um, I really thought that I wanted to be a cellar rat. Um, but during that harvest, I realized that I also was living in Portland then, and it's like driving back and forth, and, and like the urban wine scene really hadn't taken off. I didn't know much about that at that time, um, but I soon learned about that. Um, but I, by the end of harvest, I realized that's what I didn't want to do. Um, but I still wanted to be involved in wine. So I, I did work at Vinopolis for a few months and then uh, went back to restaurants. So tell me about some of the places you worked here in Portland. Uh, well, I started at Clark Lewis, which was interesting. Um, 
And that was right at 2007, so the recession hit 2008. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, I had a couple places I probably don't want to mention. Um, did a little stint at Davenport. Um, I seem like I'm missing a big one in here somewhere. Oh, Kin Restaurant. So Kin Restaurant was in the Pearl. It was only open for about a little less than two years, but it was a chef that I worked with. In the last place I worked with in Chicago, Kevin Shikami, he uh, him and his wife moved out here a year after I did, and they opened a place. So that was my first Oregon wine list, um, and it was a it was a small, concise wine list, probably like 60, 65 bottles, um, probably like. 60, 70 percent Oregon wines, Oregon, Washington. Um, so I, I find, you know, it's local food. You might as well have local wine. It's part of my philosophy, for sure. But I do, I, you know, before we closed, half of my wine list was European for the wines by the glass. Um, so it just it ebbs and flows. Sure. So tell us more about Queen Trail. How did you end up here, and, and, and tell us about it. It was a chef, uh, Bill Bill Wallander, uh, was the opening chef. Um, he contacted me, and uh, I was uh, I just came out and I met the owner Emily, and um, I was hired. You know, so I, at first uh, they offered me a little bit more position, and they're like, "Well, yeah, but you can be a server if you want." I'm like, "For right now, just I'll just be a server." Um, and then the original, uh, the people who did the original list did a great job. Um, we had one manager in between and, you know, Emily came to me. I was already doing one management shift a week at that point. She's like, could you help us out till we find a, you know, GM? Um, and, you know, you can do the wine list. I'm like, all right. So I was a manager for a good year and a half. Um, before we found the right gym, and we have them right now. So, so what is? Tell me about Queen Trail. What is? What is it you're trying to do here? What, what is the restaurant's kind of ethos? Well, um, well, we, the wine list is based off the the, the food philosophy. It's um, sourced locally, um, so it is fairly fairly locally driven. Uh, the wines have to have a fair amount of acid. I keep one or two lists for people who just want like a big Chardonnay or a big, you know, Cabernet. I have, I have something for them. Mm -hmm. But most wines like lower ABV, good acidity. Um, so, man. So let's talk, about, let's talk about building a wine list. I'm, re I'm really curious about that. That's sort of, tell me about developing the skill for a wine list and then what you, in the, in the end, what you want your wine list to be at, at, at a various, at, we'll start by Queen Trail and specifically, mm -hmm. but in general, building a wine list, how does, how does it work? Uh, so, building a wine list, I had, in this lo location, I had a decent, I had good, a good skeleton to work off of. Um, so, you know, we're a small independent restaurant, so I like to find small independent producers. Um, a, fair amount, a fair amount of our wines are delivered by the winemaker or someone from the winery, um, self-distributing, which is, I think, a little unique in Oregon, but I think it's, it's really cool. Um, I work with small distributors. I, I work with people who care about how they source wine. Um, I don't necessarily, like, the more natural is good, you know. I mean, I, I'm not. 
I'm not a stickler about it, but you know, um, biodynamic, organic, all those are, if, if the people are taking care of the vineyards, they're probably taking care of everything in the winery. Um, and the people, like a lot of urban wineries, um, source from really good sources, you know, so, uh, and I think that they have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of care. And so that, the wine is built around that. Plus, I would say 10, 12 years ago, if you wanted to make it all Oregon wineless, it was going to look pretty, pretty bland. I mean, it would be, I mean, there's some great Oregon Pinots and some great Oregon Pinot Green Chardonnay, but um, now you have people making Vermentino, Alicote, uh, Mondeuse. I mean, just the, the, the varietals being grown has, has changed. Um, I think people are looking to see what grows. Um, as the climate does get warmer, we've had a string of, you know, it's definitely getting warmer. Um, I think people even like doing different, um, different clones for Pinot Noir, so you know what, what ripens. When it ripens, what they want, what they're looking for, um, there's a lot of options out there. You talked about working with a lot of small producers or small uh, self-distributed. Mm -hmm. uh, do you find yourself seeking people out or are more people seeking you out? Are you out looking for certain things or are people coming to you mostly? Mostly people come to me. Um, sometimes it's, you know, people you hear about, you know about friends, winery friends, talk to other winery friends. Um, that's for sure. Uh, you know, um, I, one of the first Oregon wines I bought like a full case of without talking to the owner at Ken was um, Division Chardonnay. Um, Tom Monroe came in, he was like, it's like right before service, he's like, hey, I got this Chardonnay to try. It's, I'm like, sure, and I tried it and like, this is money. Like, this is like the real deal. Um, so, uh, Tom and I are both from the St. Louis area, so we had other things to bond over for sure. The Cardinals was always a big thing. Um, and uh, that sort of got me sort of connected with the Southeast Wine Collective. And the, there's just been a lot of people that have gone through there. The, like, I've, I've always toyed with like, doing a, like, an alumni dinner. You know, I think it'd be fascinating. There's so many good winemakers who've came out of there um, and still do. So do you find building a wine list in Portland different than other places? Or is a Portland audience looking for something different in their wine list? Well, I, I, I build a wine list for, there's a wine list for local people, which isn't necessarily local wine. Um, and I get that. Um, but there's certainly enough, uh, and we'll see how it happens, but there's certainly enough tourists who come to Oregon and they want Oregon local wine. Um, so, so I sort of built the list for, for locals and for, for other people who might just want to have an Oregon experience with local food, um, doing what we do. So about, you know, you've talked a little bit about, about wine's relationship with food and building, building your wine list off the food. So tell me about learning that process, the skill of, of matching wine to food and, and what you want the wine to do with the food and, and vice versa? Um, I, ideally, 
that you know if you hit the pairing right it's going to make the food taste better and the food will make the wine taste better um, I try to look for wines that won't beat up delicate food um, excuse me uh, Riley's food chef Riley Eckersley, Eckersley is his food is a little um, there's a lot of different influences but there's definitely like um, an Asian influence for many dishes so I like high acid whites with that um, it's funny like I find myself more excited about finding like really cool white wines these days than I do any red wine that it, so it's interesting and I used to like love big Zinfandels uh, you talked a little bit earlier about the kind of changing Oregon wine and the idea that you could build an Oregon wine list is much more broad now uh, so when you're looking for Oregon whites specifically are there certain characteristics you're looking for certain vineyards certain AVAs certain producers or uh, so I'm actually going to talk a little different sure. speak um, so I think there's sort of like there's people who make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and they do a great job and it's wonderful and I have it you know have it available and and I, I'd love to sit down and drink drink it but I think there's a lot of uh, younger winemakers who don't have who are making wine at day camp or the Southeast Wine Collective are you know just different different places where they have groups of people and um, uh, there, a lot of them are just people just strapping enough money together to buy like like I gotta sell you know 15 cases of the wine I made last year to be able to buy grapes this year you know and and you know and the struggle's real and I get that but they are also pushing the limit they're you know like orange wines exploding pet nass exploding um, you know um, different things that like the old guard well some of them are doing a little bit dabbling now but but some aren't and like if uh, and Brian O'Donnell talked about this in an interview that I saw he, mm -hmm. he talked about some psalm downtown who had a list and like somebody a young winemaker would bring a $25 wholesale Pinot into you know and he was I just leave the bottle and like who I should take off the list I'm not quite that harsh but like if, if, if someone's bringing me a young winemaker just bring me like a Pinot maybe a Pinot Rosé I mean it's got to either be super exceptional or um, price right and, and, and uh, it's it's tough um, but if you're making something totally different I mean, you got a niche, and you can sell that. And I think you can, if you sell enough of that, then you can make the Pinot you want. And I, I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know. So with uh, uh, we talked about, I was talking a little bit earlier about like Portland customers or or two, right, tourist customers here. Do you find your customers have changed along with you talk about Pet Nat being hot and orange wine yeah. being hot? Spark, obviously, sparkling, I would imagine, it is fairly hot. Um, so the customer is the, the the customer kind of driving what you're looking for next in terms of experimentation or in terms of pushing those limits. Um, yeah, they are. I, I first uh, like just like probably like f three or four years ago, people really started asking for for something a little different, um, and I think the customer does care about you know the organics of the world, the you know, biodynamic. Um, and and it and I think the younger wine drinkers are definitely looking for something a little more fun, um, actually a little bit lower ABV. Um, so, 
So we talked a little bit about uh, off before the interview or, or while we were communicating, you're obviously getting ready to reopen here. We're in the middle of, of COVID-19. Tell me about the challenges you've had to deal with and, and getting the restaurant back uh, back to go up and open again. Well, this is my first official day back, so. Um, and we're going to open Friday. Uh, but David, our GM's been, been on it and has kept me in the loop of what's going on and, and like it's going to be a lot different. Um, but from wine-wise, uh, we're going to open up with an all Oregon wines by the glass list. Um, you know, they, they've been nice to us. We need to be nice to them. Um, and I think local people will respond to that. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have a bottle shop, and that's going to be different. Uh, so you can buy a bottle to go. Um, but, like, we, I, we don't know how bottle service is going to be. I mean, like, normally we would open a bottle and, and taste, but we're going to have a mask on. So if you ask me to taste, and I have to like get a glass, taste, and go over there and taste, and come back, and which is fine. Um, but I, just even do customers want us to pour wine for them? You know, I mean, should we just leave it on the table? And like, like it used to be there customers. There would be X amount of customers who would just say like, you can just leave it on the table. We'll pour for ourselves, which is great. Um, but now, I mean, like, I don't know if we have to say like, we're happy to pour for you, but. Feel free to. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're gonna learn a lot from the customers in the in the next couple of weeks. The, the customers are gonna teach us a lot how to reopen and how how they want it to be done. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're going through sanitizer, hand sanitizer over the place. We're gonna, you know, we got a light box for pens. I mean, we're we're, we're really going. We're trying to like think of everything, but we're, I know we know there's gonna be things that come up that are just gonna be 100 percent totally different. Uh, my job is changing. Like, people drop off samples in little tiny bottles now. Before we would sit down and like, mm -hmm. and you would learn a little bit about the wine and they would taste and everything. So that that might not come back for a while. Do you find it easier, harder, to, just different to to learn? I, I assume part of the wine buying process is also the person behind the bottle or the person selling you the bottle. So tell me about. Has it, trying to develop a relationship now with someone or trying to taste someone's wine for the first time, yeah. is, it, is it tougher? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, behind every wine, there's, there's somebody who's making it, and they've got their own story to tell. Um, and we try to respect that story and tell the story best we can. So. You talked about other changes to this restaurant specifically, I'm, I'm curious also about the restaurants in general and, and kind of what you see as things start to reopen and, and for the foreseeable future. What what are the biggest changes you're expecting on, on your side? What are the biggest changes consumers should be expecting? Um, there's going to be more space, so the, the vibe's going to be different. Um, I mean, we're going to have more outdoor seating. Uh, I think outdoor seating is going to drive everything. Um, we used to have events like uh, you know jazz night like once a month, and I think that's on hold for now. Um, I, I just think the customers and the the we're gonna have to fill each other out. Um, I haven't. Um, I know like Lake Oswego's open, and I haven't gone anywhere over there. Um, you know, I, I'm a little reluctant to go into a place myself. Um, you know, I, I dined and sit down and have a beer, but uh, an outdoor patio, which it seems totally cool, but I haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. So, do 
you think that restaurants, obviously we've heard about restaurants that are struggling, that are closing, that are, do you think the restaurant scene is going to be able to bounce back from this? Is this, a, is this something that, or are we just going to have a, are we going to live in a permanently different kind of restaurant culture? Um, I think you're going to see some bigger brands move in, but that's not necessarily the restaurants that we, we are, or, so I don't think it's going to necessarily affect us as much. I think there are going to be some, some people dropping off, and I think for a while there the choices might be a little, a little limited, but people will come back and um, figure out a way to do it. It's going to be hard with, like, you know, 50% seating or, you know, all that. It's, it's you know, it's, it's just going to be different, different. So what do you see for yourself and for Queen Trail as, as you look ahead uh, beyond, hopefully beyond the end of this and the next five, ten years, what are you, what are you seeing? Um, I think we're going to make it. I think, uh, I think the owners are dedicated to making this place the best we can. Um, I mean, last year we went and cooked at the Beard House and that's, that's a, um, it's, it's a great honor, it's also a great expense and it was a wonderful experience. Um, the Beard House is three stories, and I went up and down three stories for every course and told everyone about the wine. Um, by the way, we went to we, went, we, sold, we served five wines, and only one was Pinot Noir. It was, it was Belpont. So, but I had a story to tell about that, so it was good. Um, no, I think Quentin Trails. I mean, we were just sort of like really coming to our own. Um, it seems like we were, you know, finally garnering some of the press we, we thought we deserved. Um, but it's finally happening, and, and then we had to shut down. And Quintro has a relationship with uh, Abbey Road Farm. Abbey Road Farm. So, yeah. Tell me about tell me about that relationship and, and what it means for you. Uh, so the um, the owners bought Abbey Road Farms, and they put in a lot of grapes. Um, like 13 different varietals right now. Um, I think they plan to go up to 15. Uh, a, a brand new, they, they built out the, the horse, it was a horse stadium, a horse show stadium or something like that. Um, or I think they might have been, the, or the owners before that might have been growing a little marijuana. Um, which is a great industry to get into, <laughs> yes. Um, get it to work out for them. Uh, but they made it to a beautiful event space. The winery's wonderful. The tasting room is excellent. We have, you know, the Abbey Road Farms available. James Ron's making those. We have James Ron Winery. Um, Luke and uh, Chris Stent are they're all, and they all worked at Southeast Wine Collective, by the way. Um, but their their wines are all phenomenal. They're all on the list right now. Um, so. That's sort of our connection. Um, we, and that right before we closed, we started really seeing attraction between customers going there and coming here. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to stay down there and whatever, like if, if you know, you have a preferred reservation kind of thing, you know, we'll get you in somehow. Um, so yeah, no, and you know, we're starting to trickle in some produce up there. Um, and it'd be great once we get, you know, once their their vines start to produce. Uh, a year or two away, two years away. Excited to see that myself. Yeah, some cool stuff going in. This there. is definitely yeah, yeah. James put some really cool wines. 
very thoughtful. When we talked to him, he was kind of like a kid in a candy store with like, I have all this space and I'm just gonna, I have all this freedom to plant what I want to plant. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, tell me about your kind of, going back a little bit, your kind of first impressions of Oregon wine once you got here. Obviously you had an impression of Oregon wine from the product you'd had. But once you got here, what, what, did the industry, what was the industry like then in 2004 and, and what, have, what are the biggest changes you've seen between now and between then and now? Um, at first, I, well, when I first got here, I, I mean, I just had access to more smaller wineries and stuff that you just don't, that either didn't distribute in Chicago. Um, and I find it fascinating that, like, I talk to a winemaker and they're like, yeah, I'm really big in Oklahoma. I'm like, that's really weird, but cool. Um, but, like, you know, Chicago had certain wines that, that Oregon wines that were just there. And then, um, yeah, I, I think the biggest change started probably started probably about about ten years ago or so when when um, it seemed like it's just more people were just starting to make wine. Just you know, you know, Viola just he just makes uh, Italian varietals, you know, which is great. I, I, the diversity is 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 there's much more depth, much more um, like. I mean, when James, I did a little Instagram thing, and, and um, one thing that he talked about was uh, how the list, how he liked my list, and, is that, um, and he's surprised more people aren't doing it that, but you can find different varietals that fits different components to the, to, to the menu, mm -hmm. and you can do it more locally than you ever could. And, um, which is, I didn't necessarily start out to do that, but I mean, it just became apparent that you definitely could. In your role, uh, tell me about the wine education part of what you do, of, of educating consumers and educating drinkers. Do you, do you find yourself, at a place like this, do you find yourself typically dealing with more educated, more wine educated people, or are you doing a lot of like basic education of wine? Uh, the customers are a little more open, I think, to, to trying different things. Um, Yeah, I just think that, that the customers are a little more open. Um, you know, the staff, uh, they put in the work. Um, and, and we try to give them as much education as, as we can. But um, yeah, and like I said, like I always tell them, like, my initial, like, what I really liked about wine was selling wine. It just made my life a whole lot easier. Like, it, I could, it could still focus on other things of service. Mm -hmm. So. What are the, what are the you, you had mentioned uh, kind of organic and biodynamic being, for your customers also kind of a, dr a drive. What are the other kind of things are, are they asking you about or are they talking about? What, has that changed since you started? Have you seen more different issues or different things of importance from people? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that people are more concerned about, you know, what's being put in their body, you know? Um, and I, I think that uh, Oregon as a whole um, from in the wine industry is more concerned about that than they ever have been, mm -hmm. and, uh, which is refreshing and good. Like, uh, yeah. there's not too many huge, huge wineries, um, so, but we'll see, we'll see how that changes, I mean. 
Lisa, right to my next question. What do you see the Oregon wine industry looking like in the, in the coming decade? Um, I mean, I still think that locally it's, it's, it's uh, sort of like the Wild West. It's like there's going to be people, you know, I got this like 60-day skin contact Vermentino that I put at Amphora. Um, we buried it for six months. Um, I don't think they buried it, but... Um, but they're still gonna. But when people are outside of Oregon, or they're gonna know, they know Willamette Valley. Um, you know, uh, I, I know there's some controversy about uh, being too site specific. Like, like if you do, you put Ribbon Ridge on the label. Do you put Willamette Valley at Ribbon Ridge? You know, um, I'm all for just putting Ribbon Ridge, and people should know it's from the Willamette Valley. But I get it too. Do you see? Obviously, Pinot Noir outside of Oregon, Pinot Noir is what people, Wyoming Valley, Pinot Noir is what people see. Do you see that changing at all? Do you see people outside of Oregon having more familiarity with other things we're doing here? I think so. Um, yeah, like I said, we went to the, the beer dinner, and um, a lot of New Yorkers, you know, tried some different varietals. They had a Vermentino, a, a Gamay, and you know, this one guy's like, why is this red chilled? I, like, I slightly chilled the Gamay. I mean, like, because it tastes better, you know? <laughs> But they were, like, I, I got emails, you know, where can I find this wine? I'm like, so. So if someone came to you and said they wanted to get into the Oregon wine industry in some capacity, what would your words of wisdom to them be? Um, I would tell them to volunteer and work a harvest or, or, or bottle or something. And, and um, you know, if they're not in the restaurant business, then I would, I would say, I would tell them to go that route. There's urban wineries that always look for people. If you want to be a glutton for punishment, you can go help them pick wine, pick grapes. Not, not, not fun. But no, just didn't start to meet people. Um, you know, that's, I, I rarely meet Oregon winemakers that are standoffish or, or you know, don't want to at least, you know, talk to you. And study, just learn, just try. What was the biggest uh, educational hurdle for you with wine? What was the what was the thing that you maybe struggled with the most? Or took you the longest to feel comfortable with as you're kind of educating yourself about wine? Was there a certain topic or a certain? Um, no, I I don't think it's a struggle necessarily, but like, there's always something to learn. Like, um, if anyone says they know everything about wine, don't don't trust them because there's something else out there that you've never heard of are, I mean, I don't know, I just like that there's something new every day. It's like you open the door and there's, you know, like, oh, I've read about that, or oh, I've seen that, or I've never heard of that. And I, uh, that's continued since, you know, the early 2000s for me. But I, I, I do think the Oregon wine is in a, in a good spot, um, you know get Mencia from the gorge now um, just it's just fun and I think as people learn you can learn about Oregon wine and then suddenly learn about the world of wine you know the worldwide wine like you know where it originally comes from why they planted here like why did Abbott cellars you know why did they grow Tempranillo down there well he looked all over North America for a site and that's what he found so So from your perspective, what is, uh, what is the role, or what is wine's purpose in society? What is wine's role in society? 
I think it brings people together. Um, one thing, you know, Portland, and, and, and what I what I wish for Portland, um, like we have a great beer culture. You know, you can't go too far without a brew pub, or there's new brew pubs every day. Um, and I understand it's a little easier to make. You know, you make one bad batch of beer, you just have your friends drink it, to pour it down the drain. You make a bad vintage of wine, and that's that's a wasted year. You know, not wasted. You learned something, but um, it's just different. But I want. I would love Portland, I think it's happening, and have more of a wine culture. Um, you know, different wine bars are popping up, um, you know, urban wineries. So I see that as like a very positive thing, good thing. Right, well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't um, should have covered? Man, I can't really think of anything. <laughs> right. um, no, I just think that, that there's just a, a group of really good young winemakers that are, are popping up, and I think it's they're pushing the envelope. Um, you're still always going to have, you know, the classic winemakers and stuff. So, excellent. They all have a spot. They all have a place at the table. Is that unique in your in your understanding of the wine world? Is is Oregon fairly unique in that way? I think it's still unique in that they're still very personal. Like, um, you know, I. And, I just think it's, it's a little more intimate than, than a lot of other places, um, for sure. Well, thank you so much for thank your time. You. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.